What's up, wrestling fans? If you're looking for a visual company to our podcast, please be sure to check out the awesome photos at wrestlersarewarriors.com. Tony Rotundo is the photographer behind these photos, and he's a great friend of ours. His photos are amazing. Go see her for yourself at wrestlersarewarriors.com. Thanks again, guys. It's, I, th- I think it's awesome. I think it's really, really well done, Sam. Why, why does it crack you up? I don't know. There's something about it that's like, I don't know. It's like we're professionals almost. I don't know. Almost. I don't know. Julia, are you there? Yeah, I, I loved it as well. I, to me, it almost sounded like when you're like in Disneyland, you're about to go on like Space Mountain or something, and you're like waiting in the queue, and you're getting like really hyped for something. Like, this is going to be awesome. Um, it had that vibe to it. I dig it. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, we're here. It's good to see you, Sam. After a full week, I have not recorded in a little bit, um, but it's good to be back on the saddle. And uh, and I'd like to remind our listeners, as I always do, uh, all right, sometimes do, um, but hey, follow our Twitter, follow our Instagram. Uh, I believe we have a Facebook, but I, it's all under the at HMA wrestling uh, tag and Man, now we're live streaming. Now we're doing the do the whole thing. We're live on Sam's Twitter, YouTube, I believe, Facebook. Um, I wish Sam would figure out how to live stream on Instagram, but I'm working on it. I'm All right, <laughs> we're getting close. So um, yeah, but like Sam said, we are joined by a very special guest today, Miss Julia Salata. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yep, nailed it. Perfect, perfect. So Julia, how are you doing today? Good. Good, just trying to stay busy, keeping myself active. Um, had a long day today, but productive, got things done, and uh, hopefully you can have a great podcast now to cap off my night. Nice. Julia, where are you at? Uh, I live in Bristol, Tennessee. Um, I'm, like, way up in the northeast corner of the state, about an hour and a half east of Knoxville. Um, this is where I, I coach wrestling at. This is where I went to school at King University um, and where I'm still living. How close is that to Sam Harry right at Memphis? We're the seven actually, hours. Yeah, about seven hours. We're actually in the complete <laughs> other end of the state. Um, and I was actually talking, Sam, I don't even know if I brought this up to you, but your mom actually works with my, one of my really good friends from King. I don't know if, if you know her, but her name's Koei Martin. Um, I don't, know. She was a swimmer at King, but she knows your mom. Um, and, and she brought that up so once cool. a couple, couple weeks ago when I was talking to her. So I guess we're both in kind of in Tennessee, so not that small. Yeah. But like, like you said, seven hours apart, uh, pretty small. So how... Um... How close are you? Do you know Morristown, Tennessee? Yeah, yeah. I'm probably about 25, 30 minutes from Morristown. Pretty close. I, I was up there a couple weeks ago. Um, Nashon Garrett's actually spending a lot of time there. Um, you'll have to go check out. He's kind of running the club right now. In really? Morristown. Yeah. Wow. Sam, are you, uh, are you up there rolling with Nashon? He's got nothing on me, man. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not even close. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I'm glad you he's, are joking. He's got such fast reattacks. Mm. <laughs> fast everything. He's so quick. Yeah. Yeah, he is. All right. Well, Sam, kick off this interview, my man. All right. So, um, like I said earlier, we're launching a new, um, I guess, sector of HMA wrestling, the home mind advantage um, core, and that is wrestle like a girl. I'll get into more details 
after we started talking about Julia's career and uh, and how she's brought up in the sport. But um, yeah, that's that's why Julia's here. That's why we're all here today. So I hope you guys uh, are excited and are ready to to hear some more about the partnership. Well, first of um, all, Sam, before we go any further, I think we should have Julia explain what Wrestle Like a Girl even is. So Julia, yeah, please tell us. For, for all those who don't know, what is Wrestle Like a Girl? Yeah, so Wrestling a Girl was a nonprofit that was founded by Sally Roberts in 2016. Uh, Sally, former U.S. national team member, former world bronze medalist, um, also an Army combat veteran, wrestled for the WCAP program. So she started Wrestling a Girl to grow women's wrestling at all levels. So we're talking the grassroots level, youth, high school, collegiate, internationally, and just really build the sport from the ground up and create more opportunities for women. I previously was working primarily with collegiate initiatives, um, back in January, the NCAA voted on emerging sports status for women's wrestling, which was kind of my pet project. But now the emerging sports status vote for Division One is kind of on pause. I've transitioned over into the state sanctioning efforts, which is getting women's wrestling sanctioned in all 50 states. We actually just had our 24th state sanctioned today with Florida, so a lot of progress being made on that. Mm-hmm. And a couple other projects working on right now as well. But So a lot of things we're doing within the sport. Uh, We also do a lot of empowerment camps for high school and middle school level girls. Um, We do coaches education. Katie Downing uh, works on that kind of side of things. So we're doing a lot of things, kind of an all-encompassing group, but all centered around promoting women's wrestling and growing it from the grassroots levels on up. Mm, Fantastic. And how did you get um, introduced to Wrestle Like a Girl and to, to Sally? So I knew Sally from the U.S. national team. When Sally made her comeback after she served her combat tours over in Afghanistan, uh, we met through national team tours and camps at the OTC and stuff and always just had really great conversations that went beyond kind of superficial day-to-day stuff, um, really about how to grow the sport, et cetera, et cetera. And once Wrestling Girl was formed, I always kind of kept up with what they did on social media, whatever. Sally and I talked about different ways to help promote the brand but again it was never like me officially working for them it was just conversations we had over dinner at the otc that kind of a thing and then back in july of last year they posted a job for the collegiate initiatives program manager who would essentially be overseeing that emerging sports status bid that i was talking about earlier as well as coaches education um some body positivity um programming that kind of a thing and i applied for it sally called me and said you know this is what i expect out of this job do you think it's something that you know, you could do and that you could excel in. I, I thought that's the perfect vein for me. Uh, I also serve as the assistant coach at King University. So I have a pretty good beat on collegiate women's wrestling from that job, as well as just, um, you know, what I think are a lot of good ideas about how to promote the sport at the collegiate level. So I, we just collaborated really well. We knew we had always worked well together. So she brought me on board and I'll be coming up on one year in August of working for wrestling a girl um, in that capacity. Oh, congratulations. Sounds like a perfect fit. It is. I, I like to think so. Maybe I'm maybe I'm all wrong, but uh I just think that, you know, again, my ideas about women's wrestling and you know, I, I like to think that I'm pretty progressive and, and want to see what's best for the sport. So um we've done a lot of really great things since I've been on board as a team as a whole. So I'm really proud to be a part of it. Fantastic. That's so cool. Uh well let's let's dive into a little bit of your wrestling career. Um let's start right at the beginning, how you got introduced to the sport. And uh, what what was it like when you first started? And so what's your favorite I, wrestling move? I'd like that. Oh, one. man. Well, my favorite wrestling move is low single. No questions asked. Nice. Low sing- oh, low single and then an arm drag double second. I have a um, question. Julia, when you go low single, do you put your head in the knee? Is that how you like to finish it? In in a perfect world, that's what yeah. happens. 
90% of the time in competition, that's not how it goes. Nope. Um, I usually end up kind of diving a pass and coming out back door and turning in, but I'm um, telling you, that's, that's a pretty good way to finish the single. You, I mean, I, you yeah. shoot it, get your shoulder behind that, that leg and then mm-hmm. turn out the back door. Yeah, I said in in actual live wrestling, about ninety percent of the time, that's what happens. Um, I've had success with it, and I, you know, being a low single wrestler, I don't know if you are one as well, but you know, I always tell my college girls, I'm like, the secret to a low single is just almost kind of being like gutsy enough to die for someone's ankle and hope for the best. You know, there's not a whole lot of setting up you can do. I mean, it's it's a lot of like guesswork and commitment to just like kind of diving in on it. So, and I always tell them, if you're gonna shoot a low single, you gotta be ready to move right away. Whether right. you get your head there or not, when you come out the back door, it's like you have to be moving instantly. So yeah. that's definitely the way to go. And it's good because you can actually work to set up a different shot, and then it will be there. You don't right. actually, you don't have to work to set up a low single. You can move mm. on your high crotch. They square up. Bam! You drop right into it. Exactly. Then, again, be ready to wrestle because you know mm. no one's gonna give up an easy low single takedown. If anything, yeah. it's just inviting mm. a scramble. And um, yeah. if you have faith in your scramble, then mm. it's a it's a pretty a pretty good offensive maneuver all right i'm yeah. sorry for for cutting you off but well, i'll talk about low singles all day you're good <laughs> uh, so yeah definitely low single first and then arm drag to a double leg second it is my go-to um but i started wrestling uh the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade uh when i was 14 i grew up in michigan and Canton, right outside of detroit um i actually went to high school with al cantelio from the university of michigan um, Anthony Abro, who was a two-time NCAA qualifier for Eastern Michigan. So came from a really tough program. Um, but I first started getting into wrestling actually because I was a pro wrestling fan when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. I love the Undertaker. I loved Kane. I love Shawn Michaels. Um, I knew I went to WrestleMania. I mean, I, I love pro wrestling when like, I get, I loved it. Me, me and my friends, my friend, one of my best friends growing up, Eric Miller used to like recreate pro wrestling in my basement when I was a kid, my mom yeah. was all, no, that stuff's fake. Right. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's fun to watch. And like, I was so into it. So in eighth grade, my, my school district actually started middle school wrestling for the first time, like district wide as a sanctioned middle school sport. So I came home for the flyer. I'm like, mom, I want to wrestle. And she said, you know, this isn't WWE. Right. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But like, I just think it'd be so fun and so good. I you know I was a huge athlete. I played every sport imaginable growing up, but I was like, I think this is going to be so fun. So I ended up joining, I was the only girl, and at the end of, like, the six-week period of, like, this trial run of middle school wrestling, they had the city tournament with all five middle schools in my district. Again, I was the only girl in the entire tournament, and I ended up winning my weight class. And along the way, beat some pretty tough guys who were supposed to be, like, tough up-and-coming freshmen at some of the high schools in my area, like, guys that were going to be varsity starters right out of the gate. And I won this tournament, and it was actually held at the high school that I was going to be attending that next year. So after that tournament was over, the high school coach, Casey Randolph, actually approached my parents and said, you know, I, I don't know what her plans are for high school sports, but if she wants to join the wrestling team, she has a place on my team, no questions asked. Now, did, um, either, of, uh, did either of your parents wrestle? No. Nope. Or anyone in your family? Uh, nope, not at all. But, but neither of my parents were really athletes. My mom's claim to fame was being the captain of the eighth grade cheerleading team. <laughs> and my dad was like a cross-country runner and stuff, but I definitely didn't get that gene. I'm a terrible runner. And yeah. he was definitely like a super competitive athlete. Um, I actually have like somewhere, I think it's like, what be like my second cousin once removed or something was an Olympic marathon runner um, back in like the eighties or something. But I didn't get that gene. I, I didn't have athletic genes at all from my parents. So I don't really know how I ended up wanting to wrestle or wanting to even get into athletics that much. Um, but that's, that's kind of the vein I found myself in. Uh, 
my parents are always super supportive. Like I was an only child growing up. So like one of the first sports they ever put me in was hockey. They put me in gymnastics. They put me in soccer, like anything I wanted to try my hand and they were all for it. So when I, when my high school coach approached them, they were like, all right, cool. Like, you know, he, he said, you're going to be the only girl, but you know, he said he's going to support you and we support you. So if that's what you want to do, have at it. So at the time I kind of had a choice to make between basketball and wrestling for my winter sport. I played basketball through middle school and ultimately I decided that wrestling was really what was going to do it for me. Um, I had a lot of friends that were guys on the team that were all supportive of me joining, which isn't always the case for female wrestlers, especially um, at being as male dominated as it was, you know, 15 years ago when I was in high school. Um, so I was really thankful that I had an open door right out of the gate. I didn't have to fight for my spots, even be on the team. I, I had a coach approaching me saying, we'd love to have you. So I was really fortunate in that regard. I, Definitely. I mean, I was okay my first year in high school. Um, I was on JV. I wrestled 119. I probably won about half my matches. But I really started to start making progress going into my sophomore year. Uh, when I started wrestling freestyle, I went to Fargo for the first time at the end of my freshman year. And I realized how much I could really accomplish in that sport. And I remember watching the Fargo finals. And one of my team, Michigan teammates, C.C. Weber, was in the finals that year. And I remember sitting in the stands and watching her get to run out from behind that curtain and, and all the music and the lights and the spotlight in Fargo and thinking to myself, like, man, I want that to be me. Like, watching her win a Fargo title, I was like, that's I want that to be me. And I actually made a bet with my dad while sitting in the stands. I was like, Dad, if I win Fargo next year, you have to buy me – or you have to let me get a tattoo. And he's like, uh, whatever. He's like, you just went one and two at this tournament. There's no way you're winning it next year. And I was like, all right, cool, done. Um, and my whole sophomore year, I just worked my butt off. And sure enough, come my sophomore year, I, by the end of the year, I won my first Fargo title. And at the time, we didn't have a separation of cadets and juniors on the women's side. We only had juniors. So I was a sophomore winning junior nationals. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, man, like not only can I like have goals and ambitions in the sport, I'm already kind of there. You know I mean? I, I already have proved that if I work hard, I can accomplish cool things. By the end of that term, I had coaches getting my contact information and that just kind of set me on kind of a path to success. I made my first cadet Pan Am team the following year, my junior year, ended up winning Fargo again, my junior and senior year and, and finished my career as a three-time junior Fargo champ. And at that point, I kind of, I was also really good at softball and I kind of had a decision to make about whether I wanted to play softball in college or continue to wrestle. And kind of what it came down to was that there are a lot of girls who are good at softball. And at the time, there weren't a lot of girls who were really, really good at wrestling. And I just decided that was the path I kind of wanted to go on. I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted to be on the U.S. national team. And that was a very real possibility for me. Um, and I knew that when I was in high school. So I ended up going to King. Um, you know, we can talk about that later about, you know, who has come out of our program and the teammates I had and all of that. Had a successful college career. And that just kind of segued into where I'm at today um, on the senior level. Well, I mean, the follow-up question here, obviously, is what tattoo did you get? I actually didn't end up getting it until oh. later on because I was so indecisive. So, like I said, I, I won Fargo my junior and senior year, too. So, by the time all was said and done, he technically owed me three tattoos. But, <laughs> um, so, I, I currently have four. Um, one of my dog's paw print. Uh, I have an Alice in Wonderland tattoo. I have a Michigan tattoo on my shoulder. If anyone's ever seen, like, that bear on my shoulder um, – it's kind of actually an all-encompassing Native American creation myth about Michigan. Um, and then I also have a Harry Potter tattoo. Um, oh, fantastic. So, like, I got them all eventually. But, um, yeah, I think like, – I remember, like, saying after, I'm like, so, Dad, how about that, too? And he's like, I'm proud of you, but shut up. Like, I don't want to <laughs> um, 
that, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, and to have my parents in the stands when I won that first national title uh, was really cool for me as well. Mm. Sam. That is pretty cool. Yeah? Excuse me, go on a tangent for, for a second, but if you could get a tattoo, what would it be? I'm not getting a tattoo, man. Ever? You say no, that now. I'm never getting you a tattoo. No, I'm, no, I'm not going to get a tattoo. Mm. Uh, I can guarantee you that. But if you were to get a tattoo... I, mm. I know you should get it. It would have to be something like really meaningful. Logo. You should get the logo on your... On <laughs> it would have to be something like really, really meaningful. Really meaningful. I yeah. think I would consider getting a Bible verse, maybe. I would, too. Yeah. yeah. Right, oh, sorry. my meaning. I said I, I have four now. The thing is, once you get one, you can't stop. So if you don't think you're yes. going to get one, stick, stick to your guns. Um, <laughs> but oh, man. And, and I, my Michigan tattoo is my favorite, for sure. That and my, and my dog's paw print. Um, it's like her actual, like, ink-blotted paw print on my ankle. That's so cool. Uh-huh. How'd they do that? But I took, like, um, one of those, like, ink pads, and I literally just took her paw and, like, stamped her paw on the ink she was super cooperative i was very surprised and put it on a piece of paper um and then they pressed her paw onto the paper and then took that paper to the tattoo artist and he was able to do it so mm, special Mm -hmm. and then again going on a tangent um the tattoo on my shoulder i actually got down in florida three years ago and it was my great aunt's 80th birthday and she decided for her 80th birthday she was going to get a tattoo and she's like at this point i'm 80 years old like no one's gonna judge me like i'm just why not do it? i'm gonna do it so me my mom one of two of my mom's cousins and my 80 year old great aunt all went to this tattoo shop and all got tattoos together nice. uh, so on top of the tattoo itself being meaningful the experience also of getting it um is meaningful as well so i think that's, that's always awesome. pretty cool mm-hmm. well, thanks for coming in and tuning into tattoo talk uh, but I guess we should probably get on to, you know, the interview. Sam Harry, you got a question for, uh, for Julia? Well, I think the next next line we need to go to is uh, talking about your experience at King, why you ended up wanting to go there. Obviously, you were you're probably a very highly recruited athlete with three Fargo titles. Um, what was that like? Obviously, they're like the they're number one pretty much um, in women's wrestling college wise. Um, for now, what was that like at the recruiting process? Um, was there was there much of a process, and what made you decide to go to King? Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. So I guess like almost my biggest choice is whether or not I want to play softball or wrestle. When I decided yeah. I want, so it really came down to three programs. Um, like you said, I was pretty highly recruited by a lot of schools, but the ones that really came down to were um, Lindenwood, King, and what was the U.S. Olympic Education Center or the USOEC that was up at Northern Michigan. Uh-huh. I always know the Greco program that's up there right now, but right. they actually have a women's freestyle program as well. And I didn't know that. one was in Michigan, but two, it was, you know, just like a, a really good opportunity as well. Um, Oklahoma City also recruited me pretty hard, but that was never really part of my plan. Um, they were like the number one team at the time, and I didn't really want to jump on the bandwagon. I wanted to be on the team that was going to beat them. Um, I just kind of, always kind of had that chip on my shoulder. So ultimately, I went to King, and I think it kind of surprised some people. Because at the time, they weren't really anything. Uh, at the time I was being recruited, they were actually only a first-year program. And the year prior to that, they had finished next to last at Nationals. I think their dual record was like 1-9. and nine. But when I visited, it became very clear that Coach Mormon had a vision for his program. And it wasn't just him feeding me a line. You know, I mean, when you're getting recruited, and I'm sure you guys will both go through this in a couple of years, like, you know what, Coach Four is trying days. to sell <laughs> Four yeah, days yeah, for exactly. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll learn very quickly that, you know, and it's their job. You know, I'm a coach now, and it's you have to sell your program. Right. But you kind of can figure out 
what coaches are just feeding you a line and which coaches, and I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to cuss here, but it's, it's true. Which coaches kind of believe their own bullshit. Um, because when you're a first year program, you don't have anything, you don't have any accolades you can count on. You can just say like, I have a vision and this is how I'm going to execute it. And coach Mormon seemed like he had that going for him. Like he was telling you all these great things he was going to do, but he said it with conviction and I, I just bought in. And I actually were- Excuse me. I'm sorry. How no, big was the roster when you joined? Um, I think that year when I'm on when my recruiting trip, I think they had 25 girls on the team at the time. So he, he did a pretty good job of recruiting. Um, and that class before me was Allie Reagan's class. And then girls that kind of never really did much on the senior level. But at the time where big recruits coming out of high school were uh, Hannah Martin, Stacey Martin, he pulled in Emily Martin, uh, Kat Perez, who was a national champ for us, actually beat Sarah Hildebrandt in the national finals my sophomore year. Um, we had a, a king versus king battle that year. So, like, it was clear that she was trying to recruit, recruit the right personnel and, and was doing a really good job of it. Mm. And I actually found a text from that I had sent to him with, during that recruiting process. This is probably about a year or two ago. And he said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, yes, where do you see the program in, like, three to five years? And his response was multiple national champions, world team members, and Olympians. And you look at where we were at five years after that text, we had 19 individual national champions, five different senior world team members, and an Olympian, and Haley Algello. And, you know, to me, like, it was like, well, no, duh. He said he was going to do it, and he did. Because um, wow. that's just the kind of guy he was. He just believed in himself so much that he was going to do whatever he needed to do to make that happen. So I decided to go to King. Everyone thought I was nuts. This was a first-year program. And I knew I made the right choice pretty instantly. Um, but to my recruiting trip and just even the first couple weeks I spent there, even though we were a young team and didn't have, like, a national title season right off the bat, we knew it was only a matter of time. Um, with my recruiting class came myself, Sarah Hildebrandt, Amanda Hendy, Sam Klingel. Uh, and then the class that followed was Haley Agello. And the following year after that, that's when Forrest Molinari transfer, transferred in. Uh, Bree Neal, we had the Doi Twins come in my senior year. And we just kept building and building and building. Um, we won our first national title as a team my junior year. That's also when I won my first individual national title. Um, it actually came down to my national final match to decide the team champion. So everyone wow. in the arena but me. <laughs> everyone knew but me. Well, it was probably better that way. Um, and that started that string of four straight national titles that we won. Um, as well as our senior level success. I mean, Ali, Sarah, Forrest, myself, Amanda Hendy, Haley Agello. Uh, we just had such a great group. Um, we have another great group now coming up. But we just had so many goals that went beyond our collegiate careers. I mean, like even though when we were in college, like winning a national title was always the exception. Or Sorry, was always kind of like it was in our minds, but that wasn't the goal. The goal is to make a world team always. The goal is to make a junior world team, a senior world team, win a world medal. So if you're concerned with those kind of lossy goals, winning a collegiate national title kind of takes care of itself. Like that's just another step on the ladder. So we cared about it, but we were always thinking so far ahead that, you know, we, we just had really high expectations for ourselves, And we, we always held each other accountable because we all want to achieve those same things. And I think that's why you still see so many of us competing on the senior level and having success there because that's just kind of always how we operated. And it was just a really cool group to be a part of coming up and then to now coach there as well um, with a bunch of girls that had that same kind of mentality that we did. Now, when you were in college, did you have plans to stay in Bristol um, and continue, you know, giving back to the program after you had graduated? I did not. Um, so upon graduation, I actually moved to the Olympic Training Center for a year. Um, I moved there in 2015. So I was there throughout the 2016 Olympic year. And then I originally came back to King just to train. 
I spent a year at the OTC and honestly just wasn't for me. Uh, I mean, you have, you know, world-class facilities, great coaching, great partners, but I didn't love the environment there. Um, it's very claustrophobic when you live on complex, that's kind of all you do. I mean, your entire life revolves around wrestling. And as much as I love wrestling, wrestling isn't the only thing that I care about in life. You know, I love my friends. I love my family. I like having other hobbies. Um, right now I work at a brewery part-time. It's something fun to do. And I just felt very limited um, when I lived there. And like I said, it, it's it's a great experience for a lot of people. And some people need that kind of environment, but it wasn't for me. So mm. I actually think that's part of the reason that I kind of fell short at Olympic trials in 2016. I, I just wasn't happy. And when you're not happy, you don't train your best. You know what I mean? And I think I almost kind of was stagnant there. So I decided to leave after that year and came back to King originally just to train. Uh, it was an environment that I trusted with teammates that I trusted. Um, Coach Mormon, I obviously trusted being in my corner. So originally it was solely a training move to come back. And I didn't know how permanent it was going to be. And then within a couple months of me being back, the assistant coaching job actually opened up. And to me, that was kind of a no brainer. Um, I knew that long term, I always wanted to be a collegiate coach. So it was kind of the perfect storm of still being able to train in the environment that I wanted to be in while being able to give back to a program that I loved um, and kind of start my coaching career as well. So it, just, it was a really good marriage and uh, going in my fifth year now, and I'm just really happy to be back and, and being in Bristol. I love Bristol so much. Um, so it's, it's just a really good situation for me. So I know you had said that you initially hadn't planned to go back to Bristol, but um, when did you know that you wanted to coach? I kind of always knew. Um, I started coaching like youth clubs and stuff, even when I was in high school. Yeah. And then like at like our, our high school's youth club and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I've also been coaching Team New York out in Fargo for the past seven. This would have been year eight. So I, I coached Team New York in Fargo for seven years. I always loved doing camps and clinics and I just really giving back to, to wrestling in general. Um, I owe so much of what I've done in life to wrestling, even outside of my athletic accolades. So being able to give back to girls and, and even some guys that I've coached um, and give them the same opportunities that I've had, if not better ones, it was always really meaningful to me. So I, I actually kind of knew early on that I didn't really want to coach a high school or a club team. Um, it just wasn't for me. I, I think it's because I actually had such a good collegiate experience. I knew that that's kind of the environment that I wanted to stay in. Um, it was the age group that I was the most comfortable with. Um, and I, I just like a collegiate atmosphere. I love collegiate athletics in general. And I knew that that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't, uh, let's try to put it. Like I said, I didn't think I was going to come back to Bristol. You know, it was always kind of the back of my mind that I wanted to coach at King and give back to, you know, to my program that I'm an alumni of. But I didn't know if I would ever get that opportunity. So when the opportunity popped up, I, I jumped at it. Um, Coach Mormon actually ended up offering me the job in the stands at the Olympics in Rio um, while we were watching Haley Aguilo wrestle. Um, I was there as a training partner for Adeline Gray. So, you know, I, I, it was a no-brainer to me. Um, but I, I always kind of knew that, like, you know, through coaching in Fargo and that kind of a thing, that that's kind of the career that I want to pursue. Um, I want my own program, so to, uh, own program someday. And uh, it's just something that I really enjoy doing. That is so cool. So looking forward, if um, and it's a big, it's a big thing that you've been pushing specifically is that getting women's wrestling as a D one sport for NCAA. Um, if that started to to go down and uh, programs started to start adding women's program in Iowa, the Big Ten starts to cover it. Uh, different conferences start to cover it. Would you start to look into wanting to coach at those programs? Absolutely. 
And I think that's something that I've kind of looked ahead to. And honestly, I was going to retire from wrestling this year. Um, after the, whether it was after Olympic trials or after the Olympics themselves, I was going to be done competing and solely focused on coaching. So that kind of put a monkey wrench into things because I stopped thinking in terms of like, should I start looking for my own program to apply for and start thinking more in terms of like, why one more year of training and competing. Um, so I'm kind of in a weird limbo right now, but I think after this coming year, um, assuming the Olympics go as planned and everything, um, I'll definitely start looking for head coaching roles. And I think the biggest thing for me is just finding a program with the right fit. Um, even though it's going to, you know, ideally I'd like to have a first year program and kind of start from scratch and build from the ground up. But the school itself matters a lot to me. And, you know, I don't expect to walk in and, you know, Iowa to add a program next year. I'm going to waltz and take a head coaching job. But, I mean, the area matters. The support of the athletic department matters. Um, You know, we're seeing a lot of women's wrestling programs added. But I want to go to a school that already has backing for wrestling. Um, You know, whether they're reinstating the men's program at the same time, whatever it may be. You know, I I want to make sure that I have athletic department support. So I'm not just going to take any old program um, and show up to any old school. But I'd love to see some of these D1 start getting on board. Um, and I'd love to take over one of those programs eventually. Um, you know, I feel that I'm qualified. I feel like I paid my dues, but uh, I'm not just going to settle for anything. I want to make sure that's the right fit for me as a coach. First D1 head coach, NCAA women. I, I'd like to think so. That's always in the back of my mind for sure. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought about it a lot. Um, <laughs> that's what it's about. It's about being cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Making history and stuff, but right, right. I, that, that would be prideful to say, you know, that that's a cool thing. One to put on your resume and, and two, to say you're a part of this movement, you First know, I've ever, done a, yeah. a girl and you know, it's, it'd be a really cool thing to think about. And I can't wait for the day that we get to a point where we have multiple division one women's programs all headed up by female head coaches. So quite a few years away from that, but it, eventually it's going to happen. And I can't wait to see that progression of our sport. So, Julia, you had mentioned previously that there are currently 24 states sanctioned with high school women's wrestling, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep, 24th state got added today with Florida. Fantastic. Um, First of all, what are the biggest states on your list, like the the ones that you really want to get for high school wrestling? And second of all, which schools um, at Division I are the, the key to get um, programs. I, I assume you have this, you know, you have like mm-hmm. a checklist of, of schools that you really want them to get. Yeah. So in terms of states themselves, um, first to get a little bit of background, when Wrestling a Girl first was formed in 2016, only six states were sanctioned. And mm. four years later, we're now at 24. So Are that's counting Florida? Yeah, Florida was today. Florida was 24. Um, that's so cool. So I mean, that's a huge jump in just four years. And it's like now just like a domino effect. You know, now that we're making some headway, it's happening like wildfire. So the states that we're focused on right now um, are Nebraska, Virginia, Alabama, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Uh, We've assembled task forces in all of those states with kind of... What did Alabama come out saying today? I'm not sure, to be honest. Let me me look it up because I saw them say something today. And uh, I'll, I'll figure out what they said. Yeah, I should probably it was know something that. good. Yeah, it was something um, good. One of their task force leaders, Julie Lasser, emailed me today about um, getting something on our website, but I wasn't sure if they actually had something that changed today, status-wise. So you can find it; that'd be awesome. Uh, but yeah, so th- th- those five states are currently our target states, if you will, where we've assembled task forces. We have proposals being put out there. 
we're getting liaisons to the different areas that we need to focus on within the state themselves and just really pushing women's wrestling in those states. There are obviously more states that we want to, you know, kind of put on our hit list, if you will, but those are the states where we're actually making progress currently. So that's where we're going to put our focus and our efforts because that's where we know that we can actually move the needle um, right now in this current moment. So that's kind of that side of things. And as for division one programs. Oh yeah. Sorry. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So for division one programs, um, I don't think it's necessarily one or two schools as much as it is like getting it like added in certain sports. So yeah, yeah. with those power five conferences more specifically. So obviously we want Iowa to add it because they have such a strong tradition of wrestling, but more importantly, Iowa's a big 10 school. And I think once you start adding a big 10 school, it kind of turns into an arms race. So now that Iowa has it, well now Michigan wants it and now Ohio state wants it. And now Penn state wants it because everyone wants to kind of keep up. Um, Same thing with the big 12, you can get like an Oklahoma state or Oklahoma to add it. Now you're going to have, you know, Northern Iowa wanting to jump in. You're going to have Northern Colorado wanting to jump in. You're going to have Wyoming wanting to jump in because you're, they're wanting to keep up and kind of almost like jump on what's trendy and cool, which I'm right. totally up um, So I think just getting those like power five schools kind of on board is going to be what's going to help us continue to grow moving forward. So, you know, selfishly, I want Michigan to add it because I'm a Michigan fan through and through. Um, but, I mean, again, they're a Big Ten school. So I, th- I think that's more the key is getting – these big name schools to add it within big name wrestling conferences. Uh, Would you coach so, at Michigan if you had the opportunity? Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah, for sure. In a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up 10 minutes from U of M. Both my parents are Michigan alums. So I, I would cool. jump at 0.2 seconds. Very cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah, I mean, it'd be really cool if you have know, a smaller program at it, if you had like an app state or like a, a Campbell or something, but mm-hmm. what's going to make the most impact is having these big wrestling conference schools, adding it and supporting it. Um, I think and the get, RTCs are yeah. huge for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, schools like Chattanooga has a has a strong RTC that's going on right now. I mm-hmm. feel like that would be a, a very easy in because um, girls that are still competing, they obviously can't um, go back into college. Mm-hmm. Will be able to um, coach it or compete at that RTC or something like that to help grow. So I think RTC things are re- are really huge for it. Yeah. Definitely, for sure. Okay, Julia, I have two two questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is, um, so you're saying you're working towards, um, you know, sanctioning women's wrestling as an NCAA sport, mm-hmm. um, and you're you're you know also specific, you know, you want big colleges to pick it up. How close are you, um, you know, relatively speaking, to achieving those goals? Like, uh, just just a, a rough estimate. So. We're kind of so to kind of give you like a, a brief rundown of the timeline of where we're at. Uh, back in January, Division two and three voted yes on emerging sports status. So we are right. emerging sport right now. Division one was supposed to vote back at the end of April. Uh, April twenty fourth, I believe, was that I date. That, yeah. And that oh, that Division yeah. one council meeting got canceled due to COVID. So canceled that postponed. Uh, the meet the Division one council meeting itself got canceled, which right. postponed the vote. So. Right. We kind of got put on pause. At the time, we didn't really have any kind of a timeline. So Sally and I actually had a meeting with a couple people from the, uh, the NCAA a couple of weeks ago, someone from the Office of Inclusion, someone from the Office of um, Strategic Planning, and kind of said, where are we at on this? You know, we don't want to start continuing to push our agenda if it's going to come across as tone deaf and, like, you know, you know, schools are trying to cut programs and cut funding right now. Why are you trying to you know, force us to add a new sport, which isn't our, what we're trying to do anyway, but that's how right. it come across. 
So they said, we wouldn't try to push that vote forward too soon. Kind of like let the NCAA take it as it comes. Um, when they're ready, they'll vote on it. And they said that could be this month. It could be October. They just don't know yet. And I don't want to be a donor, oh. but I mean, also, um, you know, following that up with the, you know, the economic downturn from this, this whole crisis, mm-hmm. the pandemic, um, I mean, like you said, it's probably going to be difficult for, for schools, mm-hmm. which already many schools aren't, they're like, we're not going to ha- welcome students back for the first semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means, you know, if there's no college football, if there's other things, which are, you know, large portions of income, you know, you have students coming in or whatever, um, mm-hmm. it's going to it's gonna be, it might be an uphill battle to, to convince an athletic director. A huge advantage, though, for wrestling is it is an incredibly cheap sport, especially if you have men's and women's. Mm-hmm. Like, if Iowa added on women's wrestling right now, it would be such a small cost compared to adding any other sport because you've got Carver, you've got the arena, you've got everything. You've got coaches in place to be there right now with the RTC and everything. Um, everything there is set up, and it is such a cheap um a cheap sport, like in a basketball, well, I guess basketball is not a good example, but like baseball or football, you need a, a big stadium and stuff like that. Uh, but wrestling just piggybacks off of a basketball stadium. And um, there, I mean, wrestling doesn't yeah. need much. Right there, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and one of the advantages we have, at least at Division two and three level, is that most of the athletic departments in D2 and D3 aren't, their sports aren't revenue generating within themselves. They're not making money and profiting off of the sports themselves. Right. The benefit to them is that they're bringing students into the school. So some of these smaller schools aren't, you know, you know, King University Wrestling doesn't make money for the school in terms of like our ticket sales. We're bringing in more student athletes who are bringing in more tuition dollars. And that's what these two and three schools are relying on is like each new sport they add is bringing in more tuition dollars, which is how the school is benefiting from athletics. So, right. In that sense, you know, adding a new sport during, you know, coronavirus might actually be beneficial because now they're bringing more students back on campus and, and you know, kind of pumping in some more money. Division one, on the other hand, is the opposite. They are reliant on their sports bringing in, you know, essentially turning a profit. Right. Um, you know, at the men's level, at wrestling is one of the few profitable sports in the NCAA. I think it's uh, wrestling, football, basketball, men's baseball, and I want to say soccer, but I don't think that's right, but... But wrestling is one of those. Um, so that's kind of where we're, I don't want to say at a standstill, but we're kind of at this pause. Because now the Division One vote isn't happening. No D1 school is going to jump on adding a new women's wrestling team because we don't even have confirmed merging sports status yet. Right. The good news is that Division Two and Division Three will still move forward, even without the Division One vote happening. But like you said, like the ultimate goal is Division One women's wrestling, and we need a yes vote in order to kind of get the ball rolling on that. So we're kind of at a pause right now. Um, we haven't stalled out. We're not backtracking. We're just kind of like on hold, if you will. So once that vote happens, I expect it to go in our favor. Hopefully by the end of the year, I think it will happen. Uh, we still have to do some lobbying to ensure that it goes forward. But that, that's kind of our, you know, our expectation and what we're planning for right now. And that's where it kind of gets tricky to transition from an emerging sport into a championship sport. So the number that we need in order to become a championship sport is 40 programs. And I believe at the last count, we are currently at 33 or 34 NCAA programs with women's wrestling. So we're pretty close to that number of 40. 
and that's combined in Division One, Two, and Three. So once we have 40 programs, we'll be eligible for championship status, and we'll remain combined like we are now with our national championship combining all three divisions until each division hits 40 schools on its own. So once you know Division Three, who will probably actually hit 41st, gets 40 schools, they'll have their own Division Three national championship. But the kind of tricky thing to that is that it's not like we hit 40 schools in November, suddenly we're a championship sport. It has to go back to vote at the NCAA convention and get proposed to say women's wrestling is, you know, on the table for championship status. People will vote yes, but they're also going to have a proposed year for when that championship will begin. So it's not like it'll get voted on in 2021 with an effective immediately in 2022 championship because they needed, they they essentially work in two year budgeting cycles. Um, And without getting too far into it, you know, all of these championships are funded by essentially these profit turning sports like March Madness and, you know, football and everything. And with those sports getting canceled, the NCAA has a lot less money to work with. So it's going to be really hard for them to put on a championship for a new sport when they're currently not, you know, they don't have all the money they're expecting to have for this coming year. So I ultimately our NCAA championship is going to get pushed back at least two years, I would think. Um, but it's still happening. Like I said, we're not backtracking. We're not moving backwards. We're not stalling right. out. It's just kind of moving further down the timeline than we had originally hoped. So I think Division One schools adding to get pushed back. I think our championship is going to get pushed back. But it's still happening, um, and probably faster than I even ever thought. Um, I thought you know, Division One women's wrestling was probably going to happen 10, 15 years away, and now we're looking at within the next five years. So um, still a really exciting time, still moving in the right direction. But uh, because of everything going on, you know, who would have thought a global pandemic would be the thing that would <laughs> temporarily derail the women's wrestling right. push? But and here we are, and we're making the best out of it, and, and we're still on track for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and Julia, I have two questions uh, yeah. on that. First of all, um, how, you know, given that there's this thing that's completely out of your control, none of us mm-hmm. can control what's going on in the world. Um, the best we can do is to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this affect your mentality towards um, the growth of women's wrestling and the, um, you know, does it, does this affect your motivation at all? Um, or even your, uh, your expectations for, for your plan? Um, but with my own career, with like, you know, in general, no, how I'm, women- ta- I'm talking about um, f- advancing women's wrestling uh, on the coll- collegiate level. Um. Honestly, it hasn't really affected my mentality at all. Um, like I said, we're still moving in the right direction. It's just right. happening a little bit slower. And kind of one of the few benefits to this pandemic is that we've been able to kind of take some time and focus on things that we didn't use to in the past. Because of you know certain things being put on pause, we've allowed to kind of take some things that have been put on the back burner and kind of move them forward and say, okay, now we can focus attention on this and have more time to commit to it. So, um you know, and, and you know, in one regard, it's helped us work on state sanctioning. So right. we're still progressing the sport as a result of the pandemic, and really, state sanctioning has almost benefited from this because all these task forces we're assembling are we're being aided by people who are also now able to focus their efforts on high school women's wrestling. So high school women's wrestling is eventually going to feed into collegiate women's wrestling. So it, you know, it really hasn't put us back at all. Um, still really optimistic, still really motivated moving forward, still getting a lot done. And, and you know, I'm, I'm speaking from the wrestling a girl side of things, but um, I think we've really taken advantage of this situation as much as we can. Um, and not just like been like, you know, it is what it is, but like, how can we actually come out of this ahead 
and better than we were before. So um, in, in that regard, I think that, you know, we're still moving in the right direction. And women's wrestling is better now than it was three months ago, even. And my second question is, how can our listeners help move this along? How can they um, aid so I think the simplest thing to do, first and foremost, is just to follow all of our social media. Um, Wrestle Like a Girl is on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. And just by following those accounts, we'll be able to keep up with a lot of what we're doing right now. Um, the second thing to do is if you have any interest in furthering women's wrestling in your state, especially if your state does not have sanctioned women's wrestling, start putting together a group of people that want to move forward the sport. Um, and, and just really do, you know, their part to grow women's wrestling. It's very easy for all of us to sit on Facebook and Twitter and like hashtag grow wrestling, but it's another thing to actually be proactive and intentional in helping to grow the sport. Right. Um, if people need a place to start, feel free to email me. My email is Julia at wrestlinggirl.org. Email Sally. Ideally email me first, maybe because Sally is doing 5 million things any given time. <laughs> She's probably the busiest person I know um, in a good way. But um, we have a really great team. We can at least point you in the direction of where to start, give you the resources that you need um if you're looking more to the collegiate side of things um shoot me an email if you're looking to add a program at your school shoot me an email um but i think more than anything else just finding a group of people that you can work with more well that's what i'm trying to say it's easier to work together as a team than it is to try to do everything on your own um right make the connections that you need finding male advocates is super important um ultimately wrestling is still a male dominated sport and having male counterparts who can advocate for women's wrestling and might have maybe some more connections from being around the sport longer is super helpful. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think just, like I said, tuning into what we're doing with Wrestling like a Girl, listening to this podcast today is a great place to start. Um, and really just, you know, being active within your wrestling community as much as you can and just promoting the sport, reaching out to girls in your area, um, you know, adding a girls division to a local tournament that you host. I mean, there's so many ways that you can start, you know, improving the landscape of women's wrestling. Um, but, you know, like I said, like just doing your part, you know, don't be intentional about it. Not just, you know, sitting on Facebook and saying, I support women's wrestling or girl wrestling, wherever it may be. Right. And I guess that kind of brings us full circle mm-hmm. back, to, back to the beginning. And uh, I mean, to the, the whole, uh, I don't, I want to, I don't want to say crux or thesis, mm-hmm. but like back to, you know, what are we going to do to help grow, um, not only your brand with Wrestle Like a Girl, but the, the, the sport of women's wrestling and mm-hmm. then um, wrestling in general uh, on a global scale. Um, so, Sam Herring, you want, I'm going to kick it to you. Tell us about what Home Ad Advantage is going to do. So, um, as Home Ad Advantage, we've kind of turned into from what Jude and I started last March as the HMA podcast, Home Ad Advantage, just Jude and Sam talking about wrestling. We've grown into a number of different podcasts um, that are kind of underneath the umbrella of Home Mad Advantage. And what's grown through that is the HMA Interview Podcast, HMA Fantasy, and we're adding another one today. It's going to be the HMA Wrestle Like a Girl Podcast. Um, It's going to be focused on interviewing coaches and athletes who have a big say in women's wrestling as a sport. And we're going to um, have Julia... Uh, Mason, Jude, and me, all of us are going to um, interview coaches and athletes just trying to push this this sport as a whole. I'm, I'm really, really excited uh, to partner with Wrestle Like a Girl to, to push this movement. It's a pretty special time. It's, it's a really, really special thing to be a part of. And I know how, like, 
you know, it's, I don't know. I, I don't remember even what I was going to say because I'm sure it wasn't that important. But, oh, man. It's awesome. Yeah, Julio, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I say we're super pumped about it. Um, we had actually kind of, Sam, you and I had been in a, like a Twitter DM with Jacob um, yep. and kind of talked on, like, you know, maybe we can do something. And then Tony jumped in, uh, Tony Rotundo, um, for those yep. who's the man, one of the best photographers in the sport of wrestling. Uh, love Tony. But, uh, you know, he kind of made the connection between all of us and Sally and said, like, what can we actually do to get this off the ground and running? And, you know, one, you know, I've all followed you guys. I follow home at advantage and love what you guys are doing. So to me, it was a great partnership to begin with. But also just to kind of be given a platform in a way that we didn't have. Like I said, we have all of our social media. We do a lot of stuff. We have a lot of events. But the one thing we were kind of lacking is, you know, a podcast and some kind of actual, like, viewable media, if you will. Um, so we were really excited about it. And just another way to kind of spread our message, um, both, you know, what we're doing, Wrestling a Girl, but also just to, you know, bring more exposure to women's wrestling. One of, you know, anyone that's on Twitter has seen something about women's wrestling not getting the media coverage it deserves, which is another tangent and a rant for another day. But, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things is that women's wrestling hasn't really, we, we haven't gotten this, our stories told. Um, you know, our athletes come from so many different backgrounds and, and things. And I think if you can start learning the stories of some of our best girls, you're going to be able to start investing in women's wrestling a lot easier. Um, you're going to be more invested in them. You're going to want to watch them compete. And you're just going to kind of want to see what we're about. So I think this is a great platform to do that. Having some of our best female athletes on display, um, as well as sharing what we're doing kind of behind the scenes with emerging sports status and state sanctioning and what we're kind of doing on the grassroots level to grow the sport in that regard. So, um, I think we have a really great plan and, uh, I'm really excited for people to be able to see what wrestling a girl is about, see what women's wrestling is about and to help grow the home at advantage brand. So guys, a funny thing, um, that I've noticed is I'm going to share on the screen for you guys watching on video, but, uh, this is actually a, a bad quality, uh, picture, but this is the latest win magazine. Uh, hold on. Let me open this up. You guys. Also, Sam, I think you bumped your mic away from your mouth. Did I? Is yeah, that better? Much better. Okay. Um, the latest Win Magazine that came out um, had the award winners. This is kind of poor quality, but for those of you watching, um, we have Jude and me on here and Sally up above us. Um, are, we are all award winners for the um, <laughs> Win oh, Magazine. Man. I just think that's funny that we, like, right after this came out, um, looked into a partnership, which is kind of funny. I'm it's sorry, awesome. I'm just laughing at my, my dumb face on that magazine. <laughs> I was up there. No, so it was right after the I wore the um, my home at advantage shirt on the podium this year after the state tournament, and uh, and my dad, I was like, Dad, snap a picture. And I, I like did like a stupid dumb pose, and um, and Mike Finn was like, Hey man, um, if you want to send me any pictures, we can put in the article. Maybe you with like a medal or a home at advantage shirt, and I was like. All right, I mean, I have this one. I mean, and he's like, oh, this is perfect. And I was like, maybe you don't want to use it if I'm going to be on, like, you know, the cover of Win Magazine. And he's like, no, that's the one. It shows your personality. I'm like, great. Great. <laughs> that's funny. But it's awesome. Like, it's it's, uh, it's going to be so, something to, to look back in the future and just be. Yeah. Kind of, it's funny. It's funny stuff. All right. And I mean, with that, I, I believe this 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 interview is coming to a close. Is there anything else that you, Julia, or you, Sam, would 
would like to touch on. I, I, have, a, I have a question for Juliet. Juliet, number one, like the most uh, sought after guest we should try to get for for this new podcast. Oh man, I don't know. I, I mean, have you guys had Mensa on yet? Tamira? No, we haven't, but we definitely need to. I think I you should get We're both doing that one. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, if nothing else, it's going to be like 45 minutes to an hour of just pure entertainment. Um, one, she's an awesome human. Two, obviously a phenomenal wrestler. And three, just like wickedly entertaining. So yes. I think I think that would be my vote. Um, I love it. Sam, let's not tell the story now, but like we can tell her our uh, Tamara story later. Later, maybe when she gets on. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Shoot. Okay. Well, I guess. Jude, who's your number one guest? I've always been a a huge Adeline Gray fan ever since I was a little kid. Um, one of the first. Uh, one of the first state medals in like in youth, like PJW level, um, that I ever won. It was after Adeline. Um, I can't remember which year it was, um, but. She's won a lot of world titles, hasn't she? Yes, she, 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 yeah, exactly. It was one of those. Uh, I guess it was after her first world title, or, yeah. Um, and she was standing there, and she gave out the medals to the, to all the kids who, who made the podium or whatever. And I remember sitting there in a row, and you'd sit in your, your seat, and I took, like, fifth or whatever. And she was, like, walking down, like, first place, second place, third place, fourth place. When she got to me, like, I just started asking her questions. Um, and she was awesome. She was so cool. And uh, so I, I definitely want to. That's cool. I would. Too, for sure. She, really? In a different way than Tamira. But Adeline, I can say that because she's one of my good friends. So she can't get mad at me. But she she's a character in a whole other way. But she's definitely awesome. I don't think many people are a character in the same way Tamira is. No, you're, you're not wrong. That's for sure. Um, I, I would. I would be uh, interested in going in the in the more men's influencer area if uh, if I was looking at the number one sought after guest or something. Um, one of the Brands brothers would be awesome. Terry Steiner obviously is is mm. doing big things. Um, people like that, I think I would I would be really interested in talking to about it. And for those who don't know, we actually have interviewed um, at who Ali Reagan, Forrest Molinari, and Michaela, Michaela Beck, Beck, all of whom were uh, previous Hawkeye Wrestling Club athletes, um, incredibly, incredibly talented ladies. Um, and three of them are King alum. Well, if you include me, you have three King alums on there, so I'm about it. That's cool. <laughs> now you got to get who Sarah Daly on. Oh, yeah. Michaela wasn't. Well, Michaela didn't go to college, so 100% of our college women's athletes went to King. I like the way you think. Absolutely. Nice. Nice. Tornadoes. Thank you. My, uh, my high school coach um, actually wrestled for them. Coach, coach? a little bit. Derek Harrison. No way. Yep. You rock? You rock your coach? Yeah, he's my coach. Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't know that. Tell him I said what's up. Yeah, he was our, uh, our men's coach for my first two years, and he was also our strength and conditioning coach. Um, was he really? Yeah. Yeah. I, he cool. actually my, like, personal fitness class or something to my freshman year. I think I went like twice and he gave me an A. So <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Derek's the man. I didn't know that. He's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. I'm really, really excited to see um, what this podcast has uh, for in the future. And you guys stay tuned for the, for the future episodes coming.
from HMA Wrestle Like a Girl. We're fun. Okay. Nice. Julia, thanks again for coming on. Sam Aaron, thank you guys. For, uh, being you. Um, thank you for Justin Bosch for sending me this Bosch Media shirt and, and for Steve Simpson for this SNS shirt uh, or hat, not hat. the shirt. Um, but yeah, that's all I got to say. Those are all the shout outs I got to give. So, all right. I believe that's well, it. And, until next time, guys.